Well, hey there, everyone. I, I will tell you that I, I enjoy being behind the microphone, and, and hopefully you enjoy it too. Any bit of anxiety that comes from trying to prep for the show or occasionally having a segment that doesn't go as you planned um, is usually um, extinguished when I get to a 1248 because I get to talk with the sweet, the thoughtful uh, Marie Osborne, WJR's senior news analyst. And Marie had two really interesting stories today that she sent over my way. And I said, geez, let's just talk about both. How are you, Marie? Hi, Chris. Yeah, and they're both so different, but they, I think they'll be li- very interesting to our listeners. Well, no, lead it off. Which one do you want to do first? Well, I was just going to say, let's start with our infant mortality rate story. Mm. Um, Chris, as you know, infant mortality is measured uh, when a baby dies before its first birthday. And this is something that's ca- captured the attention of a lot of doctors. The infant mortality rate in the United States rose 3% last year, and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention reports that the two leading causes for infant deaths are maternal complications and bacterial meningitis. Hmm. White and Native American infants, infant boys, and babies born before 37 weeks uh, had significant death increases. So they're in particular looking at those two areas. Now, you're probably wondering why this happened. Well, it, it they're not sure yet if this is just a statistical blip or if it's something more lasting. The One of the reasons they're looking at is because RSV and the flu rebounded in a really big way last fall after all of the pandemic precautions and the pre, in the previous two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, some states saw particularly high rates of infant deaths. Researchers are very interested in this. The states where they saw that are Georgia, Iowa, Missouri, and Texas. And Chris, overall, the U.S. infant mortality rate has been worse than other high-income countries and that's usually attributed to poverty, inadequate prenatal care, and some other possibilities as yeah. well. And researchers are just trying to figure out uh, further what causes, uh, what are the causes to these increases. Wow. That's a sad, sad thing to hear. You know, that that's touched my family, as you know. And I think that I would be in- very interested to find out if they're talking in, in too general of a set of terms, uh, prior to one year old is far different, for example, than within the first few months. Um, right. When you talk about you know the meningitis and RSV, that really affects infants, especially very very small infants, much differently. Does it go into any of that, or is it just a blanket prior to twelve months? No, it, it's usually it, they're really when they talk about infant mortality rate, it's always before that twelve um, month. Yeah. Mark, but you have to also think about: Was this a child that was born prematurely? Was this a child born of a mother who may have had other medical complications that could have impacted the pregnancy? So there's so many factors involved in this. Mm. Um, so I think they're still trying to get to the bottom of these numbers. But the fact that they've gone up that much, three percent in one year. That definitely took the researchers super, yeah, by super surprise. Super significant. And Georgia, yeah. Iowa, Missouri, and Texas, that doesn't, that doesn't do seem have to have common, any instant right? connection, right? I mean, it's not yes. like it's all one part of the country, different right. kinds of food, different climates. Right. Hmm. And you're looking at different socioeconomic levels in those states. It's not like a state that perhaps may have a concentration of poverty. Yeah. That's not what's at work here or low uh, uh, rates of medical intervention or anything like that. It's it's really a, a, a puzzle. Sad. Well, let's hope they figure that out because that's, uh, that's a very, very yep. fearful thing to have 
um, kind of on your head if you're pregnant with a with a new one coming. What about the big shift we've seen in in workplaces now that the pandemic is over? So many more freelancers taking up spots with companies. What is that story really about? And what's your take on it? Well, this I found very interesting because I know a couple of young people who left very good jobs, corporate type jobs, to do this very thing. So I was surprised. This piqued my interest when I saw it. So there's some research, and it's from a place called Upwork, and they looked at about 3,000 professionals and found that 39% of the U.S. workforce, we're talking about 60 million Americans, performed freelance work in the last year. The study found that freelancers contributed about $1.3 trillion in annual earnings to the economy, $50 billion more than the year before. That is a lot of money. And the fa- a study found that increasingly professionals are exploring the benefits of freelancing rather than these nine-to-five jobs, allowing them to achieve professional success and you know that elusive work-life balance that everybody talks about. And one other thing, employers are buying into the idea of taking on workers as they need them or only as long as they need them. There's a lot of uh, pluses to that. So here's some of the breakdown in the numbers. I know you'll uh, find this very interesting. Gen Z and millennials are most likely to explore freelancing. Over half of the freelancers provide knowledge services. We're talking about computer programming, marketing, IT, business consulting, Diversified workers become more common. 17% of U.S. workers are now diversified. And what does that mean? It means that they look for multiple sources of income from a mix of traditional employment and freelance work. In other words, their their, their money is not just coming in from one source. Hmm. Freelancing continues to grow among the most educated in our country. 26% of all U.S. freelancers had a postgraduate degree. And 67% of freelancers surveyed, this is really the big one, that they're more optimistic about their job or career opportunities as a freelancer. As a freelancer. And two-thirds of them said well, that they're more satisfied, happier. I can see the happier part, certainly. Not, not necessarily having a, a nine-to-five and the, and the structure that goes along with that and the commute and the boss that you might not care yeah. for. I, I get that part of it. What, I, what I'm confused by, unless I misunderstood it earlier on, is that we said, I think it was 57 uh, billion, you said, an additional, um, uh, you know, like an economic increase? Right, from last year, 50 billion more than last year. So right now they're contributing about $1.3 trillion uh, in annual earnings to the U.S. economy, That's so according interesting. to this study, they would be working elsewhere. So, if you, if I switch from working for you know Acme Company to freelancing for Acme and some others, they're all they're paying me independently. Why am I adding money? That's a very interesting. Uh, I wonder Way how they feel. Yeah, how does that person feel about a lack of uh, perhaps long term health care that they can count oh. on, or lack of a four hundred one k or a pension option or whatever it might be? That's a a bit of a leap of faith, much like being a bit of a business owner. Do you know that? Are you confident that when this gig ends, you can find a new one? So that's the first thing I thought of, too. And I think that tells you something about me. It tells you something about certain kinds of people. My husband's an entrepreneur, has been so his entire life, self-employed. And so his he thought, oh, yeah, that's great. I could. Yeah, sure. We could do that. On the other hand, I've always worked for someone else. I've always worked for it. And I like the security of knowing that my 401k is here, my health care is here. Mm. This, these are the people I work with. This is who I am. 
And so I think it comes down to the really the kind of person you are, whether you like to fly by the seat of your pants a little bit yeah. or whether you prefer the, more of the security. Well, you know, after the break, I'm going to spend a little bit of uh, time um, talking about what I think is the is the detriment to society of social media. But one thing that it has done is give a lot of people inspiration to maybe spread their wings and take some risks and be free, be free of that yes. work environment. That's a really interesting way to look at it also. Hey, thanks, for Marie, for filling us in. We'll be back after the break and talk some more social media. 800-859-0957 is the number. I'll want to hear from you on this one.